Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, we thank you so much for this time this morning, for this opportunity to be able to gather. Lord, what an amazing time of worship we just had as we worshiped you through our song. Uh, Lord, as we worship you now in our prayer, Lord, and as we open up our word and we worship you through our, pray, through our study of your word, Lord, we thank you so much, Jesus, for this time this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would take this over, take all of these little notes and scraps of paper, Lord, and you would create a masterpiece that we might hear, hear the masterpiece, but, but Lord, that we would celebrate and worship the master, the creator, Lord. So I thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, thank you, Lord, and I just pray in your name, Jesus, amen. amen. Woo. Okay, well, quick we crap. <laughs> Cap. Quick, re- quick recap. <laughs> All right, no, no, it's okay. You know, last week, <laughs> uh, we saw Moses leading the, the, this, this new generation um, from the place where they were uh, for so many years to where they were headed to, right on the, the edge, the borderline of the promised land. You remember last week, we looked at some of the times where he said, you're going to go in and fight these battles, but you're, gonna not, uh, you're not going to fight these, or actually reverse that. Don't fight these folks, but you're going to go in and you're going to take on this guy the King Sihon of, of Hezbon. And then you're going to also, you're going to go in and you're going to fight against King Og, the, the giant king of Bashan. And, and uh, you know, both of those, we didn't talk about this last week, but you know, both of those armies, they were like mighty armies. Remember, it says in the scriptures last week that when they went in, they took all 60 cities of King Og. He had a huge army and, and uh, they should not have won those battles. They should not have won. They were outmanned, they were outgunned, so to speak, uh, but they won. They, they, they won those battles. Why? Because God said, I am giving them to you. In fact, what did God say? I've already done it. I've already given you them in, in, in victory in battle. The victory is already yours. You just need to be obedient and go forth and, and do as I tell you to do. Then we looked at this one part at the end there. I think we kind of ended somewhere around where, where Moses looked out and he saw the great victories that God was having in the, with this new generation as they approached the promised land. And God was kind of reminding this generation, look, um, all the things that your forefathers, your fathers actually were afraid of in the promised land, the giants, the mighty cities, the walled fortified cities, all those things that they were afraid of, um, I, I'm going to accomplish through you here as kind of a warm up so you know what, uh, what's coming and that I will be there for you in that as well. And it was this great moment. And, and Moses sees this work of God, this great work that he's doing. And he says, God, what if I could just go over and see this land? Could you just let me go over? And I just, and listen, he just says this. I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains of Lebanon. And he says, I, I know you said, you know, that I, I, can't, I can't go in. I remembered that, you know, several years ago. But, but, you know, have you rethought that a little? Could I just, I don't want to lead them. I don't want to lead the people. Can I just go in? Can I just see? 
God says no. In fact, he says, no, and I don't talk about it anymore. But what does he say in verse 27 there? He says, go up on the top of Pishgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east, and behold it with your eyes. See, Moses said, I just want to see it. But God says, you know what? I want you to go up on the top of this mountain and behold it. That's a different word. It's, it's much bigger than just see. Moses said, I just want to see a glimpse of it. And God says, no, you're not going to go in, but if you go on top of this mountain, you can look out and you can behold. And the crazy part is that he says, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Well, they're coming from one direction at least, but God is saying, go up on this mountain and look all around and behold. The, behold, it's a word that means observe with care or see and understand. Right? When you see the word behold in the Bible, he's, it's more than just see. It's see and understand. And so what is God saying to Moses right there? Moses is saying, I just want to go in and see. And, Mo, and he's saying, Moses, you're not going to go into the land, but go up onto this mountain. Look in every direction. See and understand that I am not just in the promised land, but I'm behind you. I'm before you. I'm to the left of you. I'm to the right of you. I'm everywhere you look, Moses. I'm everywhere you go, Moses. What a comfort that must have been. I mean, maybe we would see that as a, a, a consolation prize. Well, you can't go in, Moses, but you can at least go up on the top of the mountain and look in, look over the wall. But see, what God is saying is, Moses, I'm going to remind you that you don't need to go into the promised land to see me wherever you are. Look around you. Look around you. You will see me in every direction. See that and understand it. That's a pretty powerful message, don't you think? I mean, do you ever feel like you're in the wilderness? Who feels like they've spent some time in the wilderness? Maybe you feel like you're in the wilderness right now. It's dry. You're feeling alone. You're feeling like you've been there. Just when is this ever going to end? When am I going to get through this time of the wilderness? And God says, you know what? Look around and know that I am all around you, whichever direction that you look, you're not alone. And maybe it is a dry time for a moment, but it's not going to last. In fact, when they didn't have any water, God said to Moses, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and water will flow forth. Now, that was kind of his downfall, but really what he's saying to us also is, you're feeling dry, you need a little bit of refreshing water, speak to the rock. All right? Who's our rock? Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. Amen? Amen? So he says, you need only to speak to the rock to be refreshed with rivers of flowing water. Oh. All right, let's go. Let's just end there. <laughs> no, there's a lot more. <laughs> so then he says, that, and we, we didn't cover this, so I'm going to do this last verse. He says, last two, it says, but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before, before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land, which you will see. And so God says, in essence, to Moses, look, you're not going to lead this people into the promised land. That's going to fall to Joshua. And you know, we've kind of talked about that image that the Bible uses, that Moses representing the law isn't able to take anyone into the promised land. Following the law doesn't bring you into the promised land. Joshua, which is the Hebrew form of the Greek name Jesus, Jesus is the one. See, following the law doesn't get you into the promised land. Jesus does, right? So he says here, though, 
Go and encourage Joshua because you're not going to lead them in. He's going to. And you know what? You know, Moses at that, at that moment must be thinking, you know what? That dude's going to need some encouragement because I've just spent 40 years with this stiff-necked group of people and they've complained almost every day and they've rebelled against God will reveal in a scripture 10 times, which he doesn't even talk about here. 10 times God was like, I'm going to wipe them out, Moses. And Moses says, God, you know... If you do that, then all the neighboring nations will say, what kind of God is that that they serve? And you know, really what God was doing was forming Moses' heart to be able to lead these people, right? So he says, Moses, all of that leading, all of that forming, uh, the formation of your heart, I need you to now encourage Joshua. See, this guy, Joshua, he's going to lead them in, and he's going to need encouragement, and you're the guy to do it. So be an encourager. We've talked about that before. Remember, remember um, who's that guy? Yes, I knew, I was just testing you guys. <laughs> Barnabas, his name, it means encourager, right? And so he was right next to Paul all the time going, come on, Paul, you're doing great, you're doing great, keep going, and encouraging Paul. And so he says, you know what, be an encourager to Joshua. You're not going to get to lead these people. Or maybe you don't have to lead these people. I'm not sure exactly how it was said. But Joshua is going to. Now, verse 29 is important. It says, so we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. How long? See, there's just, it just ends there and it goes into the next chapter. But there's quite a long pause in between where that ends and then chapter 4 because um, we're going to look at something that happens here. In verse 1 it says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I, which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God your fathers is giving you. And so what we're going to see here is Moses is going to go back through. He's going to retell the Ten Commandments. He's going to go back through the, the judgments and the statutes of the Lord. He's going to say, you need to follow these things so that you can live. Um, in Hebrew, you know what the word live means? Live. I know, it's a complicated language, but <laughs> live, but you can look at it like this. Number one, um, go, you know, you are going into a land, you're coming, first of all, from a land that's completely pagan, right? It was like pagan gods and, and worshiping through sex and, and, and statues and, all, and, and child sacrifice and all sorts of horrible things, and you're going into a land where they worship false gods and have child sacrifice and have sexual rituals, and he goes, in order for you to live in those places where I'm sending you in this land, because this place wasn't just a, you know, like a vacant lot. There were nations there that lived there. They weren't good. They were actually incredibly uh, harmful and bad influences. He says, I'm going to send you in there. So in order for you to live there, you need to follow these statutes and these commandments that I'm giving to you so that you can live. And not just live, but what we're going to see, live different than them. There's a lot of benefits to that, which we'll talk about today, but there's another sense too. And when he says, you need to live, we're going to see something happens in this space right before he starts chapter four here, where many of them fell into um, pagan worship and, and, and sexual immorality and died as a result because they weren't following the statutes and the commandments that God gave them. So they literally died. And so he was saying, live uh, in the sense of not being dead, but also live in the sense that your, your life, your day-to-day -day life, it needs to be different. And the way it's different is by following these statutes and these commandments. He says in verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. You know what he says? Um, 
the, the things that I'm going to tell you or the things that I have told you that you've actually heard, and he's going to say this too, that you heard directly from God on, the, on the, uh, Mount Sinai, those things don't add and don't take away. Now, we could talk all day about things that have been added or things that have been taken away by this group or that group or this church or whatever. We're not going to do that today. What God said to me is, all right, let's not talk about the things that get added, but let's talk about why people add or take away. Because you can look through the biblical history, you can look through our church history, the, our country, our world, and you can see that things have been added and taken away. Why do people add and take away from the commandments and the statutes of the Lord? I see two basic reasons. People add to the word People add to the commandments to God so they could say, this allows me to measure myself against you. If there's a list of things that I could say, well, of these 613 additions, I keep 600. You only keep 599. I'm better than you. I'm much more righteous. <laughs> People add so that they can um, measure themselves against somebody else. There's a, a part, I mentioned this the other day, the sin-sick condition of our heart looks for anything that we can use to elevate ourselves over somebody else so that instead of trying to be better, I just have to make you worse. That's much easier. <laughs> if I can point out how much worse you are, I don't have to do anything different. You being worse just makes me better. That's a lie from the pit, gang. That is a lie. Why do people take away? This is even more prevalent. Why do people take away? So that I create some kind of loophole for myself. Well, did God say you really couldn't eat from the tree or that you would surely die? Did God really say that you would die? Yes, he did. Yes, he did say that to Eve. People take away from the word because they don't like what it says exactly. In fact, rather than open up the menu and seeing everything that's there that you have to take, they like to go to the buffet. Be like, well, I like this, and I like this whole joy thing and peace and love and happiness. I don't like these things, though. I'm not taking any of those things. And they take away from. And it allows me to act or believe in a way that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches, but it feels pretty good. You know, my friends will agree, or the people that I work with will say, yeah, that's right. Hey, you know, all roads lead to God. All religions are the same. Other religions don't even believe that about each other. You say, well, you know, that whole sexual immorality thing in there, that was for then. That's, I mean, times are different now. That's a loophole, gang. That's you taking away from the word and saying, I just really want to justify my lifestyle, so I'm going to take that away. And God says, don't add, don't take away. Don't add and don't take away. But he doesn't say it because it's not like he's saying, look, I'm the boss and you just do whatever I say. He says, I'm telling you these things because I love you. I love you so much. 
that I am willing to stand by you even when you are a mess. I am willing, I love you so much that I will send my son Jesus to die for you even when you hated me, the word says. Even when we were enemies in our mind, God sent his son to pay the price for your sin. That's how much he loves you. Oh, man. So when he says, look, don't commit adultery, don't murder, okay, that's pretty easy. Jesus says, don't hate your brother in your heart, murderer. Okay. Don't hate your enemy. In fact, pray for him. Pray for your enemy? Come on. Pray for your enemy? Yeah. God says, yeah. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you would strike down my enemy with lightning. I'm not sure that's right. No, no, but you know, I totally get it. Sometimes you're just like, I just can't, I can't, I can't pray for good things. This person has done horrible things to me. I can't pray for good things. So pray for God's will. Just pray. Start by praying for God's will for that person. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yes, verse 3. We're trucking through this. <laughs> See, now verse 3 is really important because he says, your eyes have seen what the Lord did. So remember, what he's saying is, don't add, don't take away, follow my commandments, follow my statutes. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who follow Baal Peor. All right. So this is what happened, because we haven't seen it here. And if you're not familiar with this story, you need to know this story. See, this goes right after, and we read this, right after the, this, uh, the, the, the Israelites come through and they beat uh, Sihon and they destroy Og, those kingdoms, there was another king who was looking on in the region, right? And his name was Balak, right? And he's right at this time, right in this region. And Balak is seeing the, this, this group of three million Israelites or so coming into the land, and they're filling up all the land. And he's looking on, and he's like, he literally says, they're going to lick up all of the grass like cattle. He's so afraid that they're going to come in. And he was like, what should I do? What can I do? I got it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to get that guy, Balaam. And I'm going to get Balaam to curse these people. And so he goes and gets Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet. Balaam was a Canaanite prophet, actually, but he was like the big name. Like if you were going to have a birthday party and you were going to invite a prophet, you would, you'd want to get Balaam because he was like the main guy. And so Balak, Balak and Balaam, here we are again. I mean, Balak and Larry, just to... Distinguished between the names. Balak sends his guys over to Balaam's house with an offer, and he says, hey, um, Balak really wants you to come and curse the Israelite people. And Balaam says, well, you know, um, I would, but I've got to check because I really can only say what God wants me to say. 
which is pretty interesting that, you know, he's not even a, an Israelite, right? He's just a Canaanite guy that, that is, you know, kind of a guy that's a soothseer, it says, right? And they say, okay, but Balak wants you to come. So he's going to give you, like, his house full of silver. Like, he's just, like, a ton of money to come and do this. So, so uh, ultimately, um, Balaam decides to go ahead and accompany him back to the land and, and curse the Israelites, um, so that they won't kind of destroy Balak and his, and his territory. And so he gets on his donkey, and he's walking along. <laughs> and it says in the word that an a angel with a flaming sword blocked the road. Not that Balaam could see, but the donkey could see it. Wow. Right? And so the donkey goes off the road into the field to try and, you know, go around the, the big, scary angel with the sword. And Balaam, like, he pulls him, he's like, hey, come on. And he's pulling the donkey back over, and they go a little bit further, and there's the angel again. And so the donkey tries to go the other way, and it says that he crushes his foot up against the wall, because this time, you know, it was kind of an alley. And Balaam is like, what? And he's, like, slapping his donkey, and he's pulling him over. And then the third time, the angel is standing there, and the donkey just won't go. And he's, like, slapping his donkey, and he's like, what is wrong with you? And it says that God opened the mouth of the donkey. And the donkey says, why are you hitting me? And Balak says, because you're not going. The... That's a crazy story. The thing that throws me the most isn't that God opens the mouth of the donkey, is that Balaam doesn't jump off immediately and be like, what the? He just answers the donkey back. Anyway, Balaam ends up just still going, right? You know what we see here? God, number one, God says, uh, basically throughout the story, he says, well, if you really want to go, if you really want to go, go ahead. Two or three times, he permits Balaam to go, right? He permits Balaam to go to Balak. And so he finally gets there, and Balak, he takes him up onto this, this, this mountaintop, looking down at the people, and he says to Balaam, now, go ahead, now, now, curse all those people down there. And so Balaam gets up there, and he's like, all right, bless you from God. And he's like, oh, and Balak's like, what? No, no, not blessing. Curse. And Balaam says, I told you, I, I can't, I can only say what God has me to say. And so Balak says, all right, all right, you know, you just need a different view. Come over here. And so they go to a different part of the valley, and he looks out, and he goes, okay, now, now do it. Now curse them. And so Balaam, he gets up again. <clears throat> Bless you all. <laughs> and Balak says, oh, my, okay, don't bless or curse. Don't do either. Just don't keep blessing them. And Balak says, uh, Balaam says, uh, look, I, I, can't, I can't curse them if God doesn't want to curse them. In fact, you know, when I open my mouth, blessing just comes out because that is what God wants to do. And so Balak gives him one last try, and he's like, look, I'm paying you a lot of money for this. I want a curse here on these people. And so Balak's like, all right, okay. He gets up, and, and this time, not only does he bless them, but it, it, he practically curses Balak, and he's just like, we're done. We're done. No money for you. You're out of here. And so instead of just turning around and going home, you know what Balaam does? He goes, look, you really want to defeat these people? I can't curse them. You can't curse them. But if you really want to beat them, here's what you do. Send your women down into their camp and entice them into 
immoral relationship which is going to lead to idol worship. Do that, that's how you'll feel, because then their own God will wipe them out. And that's what he does. Balak sends the beautiful woman from his, his uh, cities into their camp, and they entice uh, a number of the men. In fact, God wipes out 24,000 of them because they're enticed by these beautiful women. See, these guys were told, you know, follow the laws and the statutes and the judgments that were given you by God, and you will live. And in comes the world infiltrating their camp, and they're just like, that looks pretty good too. And it takes almost no time for them to embrace the world, not just the, the practices, um, but, the, the, but everything about them. The, they start worshiping idols in, in such a very short period of time. And God sends in a plague immediately. And he takes out 24,000 of the men right there in that moment. This is what he's talking about right here in this section. He's saying, you know, you saw this. In fact, this, there wasn't, this wasn't like 40 years ago. This was like, I don't know, last Thursday. You've seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord has destroyed from among you all of them who followed Baal. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Held fast is such an important word. It means like this, two hands, that you held fast to what God taught you with both hands. Do you know what happens when you hold something with both hands? How many more hands do you have left to grab other things? No more hands, all right? You got a good grip. But as soon as you start letting go with one hand to try and grab for that. Just, I was like, I'm going to hold on to this, but this isn't bad either. Or I might want to have some of that. And pretty soon you're like this. And you're like, oh, oh I, can't, I just can't hold on to both. And what do we do? Right there. Hold fast. He says, you, some of you, you held fast. These are the guys that didn't give in didn't give in to the, the women, the, the ways of the, of the surrounding nations. They did not give in to those situations, people, uh, influences. He says, surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them. That word, we're going to see it a couple times. Observe them. You know what it means? Keep and do. Keep and do. So when you see here, when it says, therefore, be careful to observe, therefore, be careful to keep and to do the things that you've been taught in order to live, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all the statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. So what he's saying is you're going to go in and you're going to live in such a way that's so different from everybody around you that they're going to look at you and they're going to say, there's something different and not just different. They have something that we don't have. They are wise and understanding people. It doesn't feel like that sometimes though, does it? I feel like sometimes people look at Christians and say that we're dumb, uneducated, blind to what's going on around us, uncaring, unloving. However, 
if you're living in a way that's different, if you're living in a way that he's calling you, you will see, some of you have already told me stories about this, that people in their times of despair will come and say, I heard that you pray, or you have faith. Would you pray for me? My friend Sherry, right here, she's great at this. This is what happens. Somebody will come up, and I know this is what they're thinking. They'll say, well, I'm going to ask Sherry to pray for me. So they see her out walking on the street, and I'm like, Sherry, I know you have faith. I heard that, and that you pray. Will you pray for me? Thinking that, they'll then, and she'll say, sure, and then they'll all go their separate ways, and later in her quiet time, she'll pray. But this is what Sherry does. I'll pray for you right now in the middle of the street. Amen. Right? And I'm sure that person is like, yeah, Okay. <laughs> Be different. Be different. He's saying that if you live that way, ultimately people will know it. They will see it. They'll, they'll say there's something different. And they'll say, I mean, they may not say you're wise and understanding people, but it's just God's way of saying they're going to know that there's something different. And when they need something beyond themselves, they're going to come to who they know has that. And that'll be you, hopefully. They were different from the nations around them. And it was noticeable and desired. It will be a tragic mistake for them when they become like the world around them, because it's going to happen. We're, we know that. And in fact, Moses is going to talk about it later. He's like, when you also you know, fall into idolatry and do these other things, these, these things are going to happen. So he prophesies a little bit later on. But we know from reading the Bible that, that those are the things that happen is they split, they, 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 they put in um, idols in high places to Baal and other false gods, and they become not different. In fact, they become almost exactly the same as everybody around them. And we see them having a horrible, horrible time of it. It is a mistake for us to do it like the world does it. It, life, live. It's a mistake. It's not going to be good. God will permit it, but it won't be good. It's a mistake when we try and make church like some other grand uh, entertaining. Look, I get it. I mean, we have lights in the stage, and, and you know, sometimes I tell jokes, but... We're not trying to be something other than the church. But oftentimes we see that the church is trying to make itself flashy and, and appeal to uh, a certain kind of audience. I get emails all the time saying, here are all the programs that you can use to grow your church as if it were up to us Amen. to grow the church. Amen. This is God's church. Amen. I have keys to it. There could be something there for another time. <laughs> There's a guy, G. Campbell Morgan. You ever hear of him? He was a preacher and evangelist in like the mid-1900s, right? Preached his first sermon at 13 years old, and, and was so, people were so blown away that he was doing it on a regular basis by the time he was 15 years old. This is what he said. The church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Amen. Oh, man, is that powerful? Be different. Be different, he says. And you will see that it means something. It will affect the people around you. Remember we talked about Rahab last week when they got into Jericho and they said, we, we've heard about your God and, and the, 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 the Red Sea and how you, de you defeated those two armies and, and we were so affected by it. And she has a change of heart. A Canaanite woman has a change of heart. 
and is welcomed into the family of Jesus. She was changed by this. And so she was then different from that point on. In verse 8, and what great nation is there that has such statues and righteous judgments as in all of the as, as are in all the law which I sent before you this day? It's like you're unique in that you've got all these amazing statutes and judgments that, that God has given you to live by that make you different. And people are looking at you and saying, We don't have all of that. Now there was a lot of copying that went on, and some people were like, Okay, yeah, murder is bad, but you know, in these situations, and or this and that, and or we worship statues, and that's pretty much the same as their one God. Wrong. Verse 9, only take heed. Take heed is another one of those words, right? Take heed, you're going to see it several times. It means um, um, be, be alert. Be alert. Watch out. Take heed. Be aware. Be alert. Watch out to yourself, that you diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Now, it's important that you know, in Hebrew, the word forget doesn't mean what we think it means. Like, we might say, um, uh, like, I, I forgot it was, you know, Shane's birthday today. <laughs> and then somebody reminded me this morning. But he's not saying... Like, like you woke up Sunday morning and you're like, I know there was something that I normally do Sunday morning. What is it? I get, I, I, you know, put my flip-flops on and, and uh, I take a shower. Not, not in that order. What is it? I can't remember. I can't remember what it is. I, and then later on you think, oh, I forgot to go to church. That, it's not like that. The word forget, it means, it, literally it means as you like. But really what it means to us is we intentionally set it aside. That's what he's saying right here. He's like, be alert, be warned, take care, lest you set aside the things that your ears have, the, the things that you've been taught, the statutes that you've been taught, how to live. Um, be alert in case you just decide to, as you choose, set them aside the difference is, like, to use the Sunday morning example, instead of being like, man, I just can't remember what it is that I do, you're like, no. You know, I was pretty busy at that band concert last night. <laughs> it's, it's, lit, I'm, it's late. It's already, like, 12. I'm going to have to get up. You know what? I'm just not going to go. What's it going to matter? One time. One time. And one time becomes two times and three times, and we set things aside. And, and Moses is saying to them, and God is saying to us, be alert that you don't set aside knowingly the things that you know God is asking you to do, to live in a way that you know you're supposed to live. Don't set those things aside. Take heed. Be diligent. And... Teach them to your children and your grandchildren and the children and the children and the children. You guys know that song? It drives me nuts. Yeah. And more children, all the children. <laughs> I don't have enough children. Teach them to your children. That is part of our responsibility as parents, but it is the broader responsibility of all of us 
to pass on what we've been told onto the next generation and to the next generation. That's how we are to do it. We can't leave it to somebody else to say, ah, they'll figure it out along the way. I figured it out along the way. You know what? I did figure it out along the way. But boy, did I do a bunch of dumb things in between. There's a bunch of things that I wish I hadn't done. That the, you know why? You know why it's so damaging to me? It's because Satan knows those things too. And every time he wants to break me down or tempt me, he pulls that from the, the, back, the backlog of my mind and he goes, remember when you did this? Remember how much fun that was? Yeah, that was bad, but it was kind of fun, wasn't it? It was kind of good. You liked it a little bit. And he just brings those things in and you're just like, Lord, oh my goodness, if I can help my children to not have those things, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. Especially, verse 10, concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words and they may learn to fear me all the days of their lives on the earth and that day they may teach their children. And so in case you don't remember, uh, 40 years before this, when they were all gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and God said to Moses, in three days, gather everybody up together um, at the base of this mountain. Don't get too close. Set up a barrier so they don't get too close. But I am going to uh, descend on the mountain in fire and smoke, and I am going to speak to them my law. You know, if you don't remember that or if you don't know that before Moses came down with the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, God spoke all of them to the people so they heard it themselves. Did you know that Moses was the first one to use a tablet to get data from the cloud? <laughs> you see how I seamlessly worked that in? All right, come back, come back. God says, remember, many of the people that Moses is talking to right now, like, so the, the, the ones that perished in the wilderness throughout that time, it was the 20 years old to older, 50 Okay, but 20 years old. So everybody that was 19 years old and younger now is like 57, right? 58, if I'm doing the math. And that means that some of them, many of them were children or even young people when all of that happened. So they, with their own eyes, saw God descend on the mountain with smoke and fire on the top of Mount Sinai and speak the Ten Commandments to them directly. So they heard it with their own ears first. That's what he's talking about here. He's, Moses talking to that group of people and saying, many of you heard and saw this with your own ears. <clears throat> he says, remember that day. Remember you heard it. He says that they may learn to fear me. I, I, I want to talk about that for a second. Yeah, I'm sure that was scary. In fact, we know it was scary because they came to Moses that, that day and were like, um, Moses, if you could just talk to God directly and kind of leave us out, it's just way too scary for us to sit here and listen to God thunder from the top of this mountain. And that's when Moses went up. But it was scary. But that's not what God is talking about. He doesn't want you to be uh, afraid of him. The, the word fear, it means um, awe or respect. That's the idea that we have a fear of the Lord. That means that we respect who he is that we respect what he is, that we have respect for what he says. 
He is the creator. We are the creatures. Creature. He is the father. We are the children. He is the master. We are the servants. When we lose the fear of the Lord, bad things start to happen. It all starts to fall apart because all of a sudden we're not uh, looking at him as the creator, the father, the master. We're looking at him as maybe the creator, but, you know, I might have something to do with what's going on in my own life too. In fact, you know what? We've gotten to the point where we're saying, um, uh, not God, I get to decide what gender I am. I get to decide it. It's solely based on how I feel right now. That's me saying, uh, if there is a God, he made a big mistake, and I know much better, and I'm going to decide for myself based on how I feel today. That's losing the fear, the respect, the awe of God. That's what happens. It starts to fall apart. He's going to say in here later that, that the pagan nations, they would look at the sky and the mountains and the trees, and they would say, the sky and the mountains, are trees are amazing. Let's worship them. The Israelites will say, the sky, the sun, the mountains are amazing. Let's worship the one who created them. Amen. A number of years ago, I'm sorry, a number of years ago, <laughs> uh, I went to um, Rome. And uh, I went to the Sistine Chapel, you know, as you do when you go to Rome. And uh, being an art student, you know, I sat in there. And, you know, the Sistine Chapel, if you don't know it, is a, is a, a huge mural, really, painted by Michelangelo of uh, uh, basically Genesis, the, the book of Genesis. So it has the creation of, of man there is one of the central points. And, and uh, it's this huge, just enormous, incredible painting on the ceiling. And actually, even to me, more beautiful is the, the wall, the Last Judgment painting, which blew me away way more than the ceiling, but the ceiling is more famous. But when you look at it, when I looked at it, I was looking at it thinking, oh my goodness, this is an amazing painting. Michelangelo is incredible. What I didn't do is think, this painting is amazing. The way it painted itself on the ceiling that's incredible. Now, I can appreciate the painting, but I more appreciate the artist behind it. When we look at the sun and the moon and the stars and the skies and the mountains, we look at those and we say, the creator of these things is amazing. The pagan nations stopped at the creation. And they said, you know what we should do? We're going to create a little statue that represents the stun, the stun. <laughs> mountains, trees, birds, octopus. You know, and, and then we're going to pray to that. Because they did not have a proper fear or respect for the Lord. It says in verse 11, Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven and dark and cloud and, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of the words but saw no form. You only heard a voice. You know, that is so interesting, and I never really thought about this before. But they didn't see the image of God. They only heard the voice of God. And they believed it. They heard his words and they believed. One commentator said that the Israelites were ear people, not eye people. Ear people, not eye people. Meaning that their faith was based on what they heard God say, not, uh, not the things that they saw. They didn't see the image of God. They only heard 
his voice, and that was more than enough. You know, it says of faith now that it comes through what? Hearing, right? It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You know, our faith as Christians, this isn't based on what we can see. How many of you have literally seen Jesus? Not me. Not me, and yet I believe in him. I have faith in him. He would actually say to his uh, disciples, you know what, it's great that you believe, but greater is the faith of those who, who don't see and believe, that are ear people. We're ear people. Some of us are bigger at that than others. Ear people. So he declared, verse 13, he declared to you his covenant and he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe, keep and do them in the land which you cross over to possess. So again, he's not saying these are going to make you more righteous before God. He's saying these will make you be, enable you to live in the land that you're going in to possess. Take care, t- take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. I don't know why I emphasized fish right there, but it seemed right. He's saying, look, you're going to go into a land and they're going to have idols of all of these things, statues of birds and, and people and fish and, and, and all sorts of things. You are not to have that. You are to be different than that because you heard the word of the God. The very first commandment is what? You will not have any other gods before me. First one, first commandment. If, if, if you get distracted easily, you should at least be able to get through that one when you're reading the Ten Commandments. And God isn't saying before me like in line, like, okay, here's the line of gods and I'm the first one and you know, no other gods before me, but I don't care what you do back here. No, he's not saying that. The word before means in my vision. God is saying there should be no other gods in my vision. Well, where does God see? Everywhere. God sees everywhere. So he's saying, no other gods. No other gods. Unfortunately, they don't keep that one. The first one. They don't keep that one. You're going to see if you read through the, the rest of uh, most of the Old Testament, and talking about first and second, you know, judges, I mean, judges and first and second kings and chronicles, you're going to see is the, the, the wicked kings and even some of the good ones didn't tear down the high places. That was the temple, the worship places of Baal. They left them up. They still allowed idol worship. And so one kingdom after another was just defeated or fell or corrupt. It says often of the kings of Judah and, and, and uh, of Israel that, that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil, and, and it will say, and he did more evil than any other king before him. And then he dies and his son comes in and it says, and he did more evil than his father did. Because they had idols in their life. They had idols in their life. 
Now, we probably don't have, you know, statues. Maybe you do. I don't know all of you. I haven't been to all your homes that you know of. <laughs> but we don't, necess- we don't often have statues that we're bowing down to or praying to, but we have idols sometimes. We have things that we devote all of our time to. Really, isn't that what a form of worship? Amen. Isn't it worship us devoting the majority of our time to something? And see, God would say, but see, you're putting that place, you're putting that before me. And that can't be. You're not going to be different if you have that. It's the first commandment, first one. Oh, we're in trouble. We can't get through that one. There's nine others. But the Lord has taken you out, taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of out of Egypt to be his people and inheritance. You know, God kept on just pounding away on this idea of the iron furnace. I was like, God, what's the deal? And I was listening to the commentators, and nobody's talking about this iron furnace. And so finally I just got into a quiet place. I was like, what is it? Why did you say iron furnace? And so he broke it down for me yesterday afternoon. The word in Hebrew is crucible, right? Which is like a, a, a smelting pot that they would take like ore and, and raw gold and silver and they would put it in there and then they expose it to really high heat. And as that metal in there melts, the impurities of that rise up to the top and then they scoop it out and they throw it, that part away. And then they heat it up some more and more impurities rise up and they, they scoop that out and they throw it away until they have something that's so pure that it actually reflects the face of the one doing the refining. When he says, I took you out of the iron furnace, God is saying to them, look, I have spent time refining you over time, applying the heat so that the impurities in your life would rise up so that I could scoop them off so that you become more and more a reflection of me. I didn't do that just to get you where I wanted you to pour you out into the dirt again. He says, I took you out of the iron furnace. I didn't do it so that you could become defiled all over again. He says, I took you out of Egypt. That's bondage. He says, I didn't take you out of bondage in Egypt just so that you could go back into bondage somewhere else. He says, furthermore... The Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. It almost feels like he's pushing that button over and over again. It's like, look, I can't go in because of you. You made me strike the rock with your, with your bad attitude and now I can't go in. But really, it, I think really what it is is he's reminding them as they're going to go in. They're, I mean, they're on the, the precipice of going into this land. He's saying, look, I'm not going with you. I won't be your leader anymore. It's going to be Joshua. Joshua is going to lead you. And so he's helping Joshua by pointing their allegiance to him, saying, it's not going to be me who you're going to follow. It's going to be Joshua. And he's reminding them that. But I must die in this land, he says in 22. I must not cross over the Jordan. You shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed. Remember, guard yourself 
lest you forget, lest you set aside the covenant. Again, he's reminding them, guard yourself to make sure that you don't set aside the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he made with you, and make for yourself carved images. Again, because they, how quickly did that happen? With, with uh, the, the ladies from uh, the neighboring town came in, it was quick. They turned them, you know, those guys set aside everything they'd been taught and just welcomed in sexual immorality and idol worship. And he's warning them again. He says, take heed, guard yourself, lest you set that aside and make for yourself some kind of image that God has forbidden to you. He says, for the Lord your God is consuming fire, a jealous God. Does that, is that hard for anybody to see that the Bible refers to God as a jealous God. Isn't jealousy one of those things that we're supposed to put off? And yet Moses seems to be saying, oh, God is a jealous God, as if it's like, that's a good attribute. Like God is a good attribute, it's jealous. And I guess you could probably get there. You could kind of like, well, you know, he's God and it doesn't mean the same thing. Well, here's the deal. I looked that up because I was having trouble with that myself. I looked it up in Hebrew. Do you know what that means right there? God is a jealous God. It means that he is a purchaser. That God is a purchaser. That's what it's saying right there. He's a consuming fire. God is a purchaser. When I read that, I was like, that makes sense. Because isn't that exactly who he is and what he did? See, God, it says, the Bible says that he redeemed me. He paid the price for me. There was a penalty. I have sinned. I sinned. There was a wage that was owed, and it was death. But God redeemed me. He purchased me because that's who he is. The Bible says in Deuteronomy that God is a purchasing God. He buys you. That's who he is, and that's what he did. He came down, and he said, you know what? I'm going to pay the price for you. I'm going to pay the price for you. In fact, didn't Jesus say those very words on the cross to Telestai? It is finished, meaning it has been paid in full. And not it, your debt, your debt was paid in full. That wasn't a new concept, gang. That wasn't a New Testament concept. That was who God is. That was who God is. Yeah, that works. He purchased you. Man, that's the gospel, isn't it? That God purchased you through the blood of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to end there.